Turn, please, in your Bibles to John 3.16. John 3.16, we're in a series, The Future is as Bright as the Promises of God. And we'll be looking at a number of texts today, but this is the only one we'll read now. John 3.16, and this is the Word of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Then join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad that we do have Your Word this morning and that it testifies to Your grace, to the grace of a loving Lord, to Your great love. So, Father, as we look at that, as we look at the Word, as we come to the table, Father, by Your Spirit, work in us so that Christ is exalted and lifted up, that He is proclaimed. And that, Father, we are strengthened in our walk with You, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Why should we be optimistic that the future is as bright as the promises of God? Our optimism is rooted in something we said last Sunday that was, this was one of the greatest subjects in the world. Uh, one that brings great joy to talk about. God's amazing love. That at the root of God's grace, His sovereignty, His providence, at the root of our hope, of the peace and joy that we have in Christ, uh, we will find the amazing love of God. And so for people for whom there's some very, very bad news, that we are far worse sinners than we could possibly imagine, we also have very, very good news, that we are far more loved than we could possibly imagine. We just sang amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And our journey into God's love this morning will take us then to several texts and get started. Let's go to the text. First, the inevitability of God's love. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. Now, John's statement is as simple. It is profound. It's not just that God loves, though He does. It's not that God is a lover, though He is. It is the fact that He is love. We can say that God's love is inevitable because, very simply, God is love. Uh, love is inseparable from God's character, His attributes, His being, His, His very essence. Uh, God is love. That's at least one of the reasons we have a triune God. Uh, is because to have love, you have to have an object. And so God the Father has always loved uh, the Son and the Spirit. God the Son's always loved the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit's always loved the Father and the Son. And that love has forever and will for, forever flowed between them. And so when, when, when God makes the self-disclosure of His glory to Moses on the mountain in Exodus 34, it's love that draws our attention. It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a merciful God and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love keeping and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love uh, for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And in reality is we get an overflow of that love that flows within Trinity. Now, a week ago, Saturday, many of you all made cookies, and there were so many, there was an overflow that if you came to coffee quarter the next day, you got cookies. There were cookies on my desk. I took cookies home. And if you came Wednesday night, Wednesday night live, what would you get for dessert? Cookies. That's right. Uh, we had them then. All of that 
was an overflow of God's goodness, of God's gifts. And so it's this overflow of God's love that propels God's grace because, because in our rebellious, sinful state, we certainly do not deserve the love of God. It's not something in us that we might like to think it would be. But remember what God told Israel, Deuteronomy 7, The Lord your God's chosen you to be a people for His treasure possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And that's because you, it's not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loved you. So it is with us. God extends His love and grace to whom He will. Ephesians 2.4 tells us, God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Such love is inevitable, because God is love, and that love cannot be contained. But also we want to see the immensity of God's love. Now, we read from, and then we sang about as well, Psalm 103, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. The Abel 2218 galaxy is just 2,000 light years across. Now, that's in contrast with with the Milky Way, which is about 100,000 light years across. Um, And uh, the Abel 2218 galaxy is about, roughly... 13 billion uh, light years away. Now keep in mind, a light year is 5.88 trillion. All right? So that means Abel 2218 is 76 septillion, 440 sextillion miles away. Think of that as 76,440 with 21 more zeros. Now that's pretty far, Okay? It's a distance that we cannot conceive of. Yet that's how far, if you look into the sky and you see that galaxy, that's how far it is away. And, and if you see that, there has to be something on the other side. There has to be. Um, likewise, uh, when we try to measure God's love, no number is great enough. Now contemplate this. We saw last week how sinful we are. Yet we saw that God's grace reaches deeper than our sin. When grace reaches us, uh, reaches in, the, the next verse of Psalm 103 says that we read from is, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And if here on planet earth you start going east, you can keep going east forever and ever and ever. You never get to the west if you just keep going east all the time. Well, that's how far. He takes our sin away. Again, an immeasurable distance. Immeasurable. Uh, What kind of forgiveness is that? What's rooted in God's infinite love. A love so immense that in reality it's it's tough to grasp with the human mind. Either the distance to Abel 2218 galaxy or the size of God's love. It defies the limits of our human minds to contemplate that love. Yet God is an infinite wisdom. Uh, As a wise and holy God, He has given us a way. We call that the incarnation or the initiation of God's love. 
1 John 4, 9, and this is the love of God, was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Uh, as we begin to grasp what Jesus experienced on the cross, we begin to get a glimpse of his love. When the earthquake struck Bam Iran several years back, they found a young uh, six-month-old uh, baby girl alive some 37 hours later in the crumbled remains of a, a collapsed building. Alive because she was cradled in her mother's arms. And they said she's alive because of her mother's embrace. Now sadly, her mother was crushed to death by the debris as she saved her daughter's life. And Jesus, Isaiah 53 tells us, was crushed for our iniquities. And if we come to Jesus, as Jim saying, if we take refuge in Jesus, you see, His embrace shields us from sin's devastating death penalty. We're saved through His sacrifice, through His death through His being crushed for us, dying for us to make atonement for us. And so we don't measure God's love with any numbers, but with blood, with the blood of Jesus. But not only does that incarnation of God's love remove our sin, but now we're clothed with the very righteousness of Jesus. In Zechariah 3, the high priest Joshua, remember, his dirty clothes that represent his sin are removed, and then he's given clean garments representing holiness. And we stand before God forgiven without those sinful garments. But we stand before God clothed in the robes, the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. So that whenever God looks at us, He sees Jesus. This leads us to reflect on the intensity of God's love. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but everlasting life. Yes, the King James doesn't leave your head, okay? Um, now, I saw a cartoon. It showed a person holding one of those dummies books, you know? Uh, and, and the person beside him sees the title of his curiosity is around because it says, The Bible for Dummies. And, um, and the, he says, you know, what about that? And he says, you know, the only thing inside is John 3.16. All right? Uh, as parents... We have fierce, passionate love for our children. So we read the account of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22. We wonder, I mean, how does Abraham do that? And we know he had incredible trust in the promises of God. He had belief that God could raise Isaac from the dead. But still, Isaac was spared. And another sacrifice promised. And that was God's son. Showing us God's love is so intense for us that He would give a Son to die for us. In fact, the intensity of that love is, leads us to the infatuation of God's love that we see in Zephaniah 3.17, which we mentioned last Sunday. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with singing. Friends, that's God's infatuation in loving us. Love's a decision. Love is an action word. And love is an emotion. 
Here we see God's emotional, willful response to the people He has redeemed through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And what an amazing love. North Times reporter once interviewed Marilyn Monroe. Uh, and uh, she was aware of Marilyn's past and the fact that during the early years, Marilyn had been shuffled from one foster home to another continually. And uh, the reporter asked her, did, did you ever feel loved by any of the foster families with whom you lived? And here was her answer. Once, when I was about seven or eight, I, the, the one I was living with was putting on makeup and I was watching her. And she was in a happy mood and she reached over and patted my cheeks with a rouge puff. And for that moment, I fell loved. You know, that, that, that makes you want to weep. Uh, but that story is repeated around the world every day by millions of people. You need to hear about the love of an infatuated father. Many of us, though not all of us, have been privileged to experience human love. A father delighting in us, a, a mother cradling us in her arms, singing over us. Well, friends, God's love exceeds all that when we look at the cross. And it calls us back on the fact that what we call the incongruity of God's love. 1 John 3, 1, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Incongruity means two things don't fit together. They do not make sense together. And this kind of love does not make sense to the world. They don't grasp it. I mean, they see the cross, they see the suffering. But they do not see God's love. They do not understand what a privilege it is to be called the children of God. So years ago, the singer, Cheryl Crow was interviewed, and she said this. Um, I think everybody on the planet feels alone even when they're in the greatest relationships or surrounded by family. In fact, in many ways, when you're with someone you care about, you feel more alone than if you were by yourself. I don't want to spend the rest of my life alone. That's the only true fear I have because what else is there but love? Not to sound completely elementary, but it's what people have written songs about for hundreds of years. It's really the only thing that matters. It's what motivates you, edifies you, encourages you. It's what brings the most joy and the most wisdom. So that is what I long for, the consummate love. Now she knows what she wants. She knows what it should look like. But she does not know where it is. We can tell her, about the great song that God sings over us. We can pray that somebody would tell her about the love of God, a love that does not make any sense whatsoever to us. So what do we do? Let's look at the imperative of God's love. John 13, 35, A new command I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love, have love for one another. In 1 John 5, 2, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. So simply put, 
having experienced God's love, we should love Him because He first loved us. And then our love should spill over into obedience to His Word, which includes loving other people. In fact, when Paul has explained his ministry to the Corinthians, he puts it this way, 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ controls us. Friends, obedience to the great commandment to love God and others is inseparably linked to the great commission. Receiving God's love mandates sharing God's love. Otherwise, we become self-absorbed, self-centered people preoccupied only with ourselves. And so this compels me to ask those of you who are here today who have not yet placed your trust in Jesus as Savior. Uh, I would urge you, you know, to... Be drawn to this love today. Uh, that's the, at the root of God's grace shown to us. Respond to the marvelous grace of our loving Lord today. Yes, our sin's great. But His grace is even greater because His love is so extreme. So what about us? Uh, believers, what a love we have to celebrate today. Brennan Manning tells a story of a, a man named Ed from Detroit. He took a vacation to Ireland because he wanted to celebrate his favorite uncle's 80th birthday. And on his birthday, Ed and his uncle got up early before dawn and went for a walk along the shores of Lake Killarney. Uh, and just as the sun rose, his, his uncle turned and, and stared straight at it, and, and, and his uncle stood 20 minutes without a word being exchanged. And then his, his elderly uncle began to skip along the shoreline. Uh, with a big smile on his face. So Ed had to run and catch up with him, and he said, Uncle Seamus, you look very happy. Do you want to tell me why? Well, yes, lad, the man said with the tears streaming down his face. You see, the Father is fond of me. The Father is so very fond of me. And indeed he is. He's fond of all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. An amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And so this table portrays that love. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who invites us to a meal of His body and blood, a meal to remember His amazing love, to strengthen our love for Him and our walk with Him, a meal to give us hope for tomorrow, to remind us of the peace and joy that we have, to remind us our sins are forgiven and taken away from us as far as the east is from the west. A meal to remember and proclaim His amazing love to a world that desperately needs that love. And so we invite all her believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who remembers the good standing of an evangelical church to come to this table. Now, if you're here and you're not yet a believer, uh, we're glad you're here. But the Bible urges you not to participate in taking the bread and cup. Rather, we'd urge you to, to follow the bulletin suggestions, uh, read God's Word, pray, ask God to show you Jesus. Children, not yet an examined by the session, should not partake. But if you have that desire, please see me. Believers, we're called to examine ourselves to see if we recognize the body of Christ, recognize His love. That's talking about our attitude towards our sin. Given the cost Jesus paid, His blood. So if, if we think for whatever reason our sin's not a big deal, or there's some sin I don't want to turn away from, then I, I should not partake because I'm not realizing the depth of Jesus' great love. 
On the other hand, if we know our sin is a big deal and we're struggling and we want strength to battle temptation, to battle sin, then we come and we eat and we remember His amazing love. So let's take a moment now and confess our sins before a holy God. Fathers, we confess our sin before you. We acknowledge our sin is great. Father, we... We come and we realize your word tells us we confess our sin. You, uh, you forgive us, Father, and it, as far as the east is from the west, Lord, a distance that cannot be measured, that's how far you take away our sin from us. Lord, elsewhere you say you, you cast our sin into the depth of the sea. Father, what forgiveness, what mercy, what grace, what love. So, Father, assure us now that if we confess our sins, you have forgiven us. And that Jesus has paid the price for us at the cross to demonstrate your great love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.